How are the continuing global supply chain issues affecting retailers and what steps are they taking to address these issues during this holiday season? I'm Po Yi, a partner in Manat's advertising, marketing, and media practice, and this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The holiday season is upon us, and I am super excited to celebrate the holidays, especially after a very long year of ups and downs due to the pandemic. But while the Delta variant seems to be somewhat under control, at least here in the United States, as most of us have armed ourselves with the vaccines, the disruption caused by the pandemic appears to continue to affect us. In particular, COVID-19 has created major supply chain bottlenecks. Last year, everyone was worried about getting basic household items like toilet paper and paper towels. This year, we seem to have solved that problem but are now facing shortages in just about all other retail sectors, including clothing, auto, and toys. To discuss these supply chain issues facing retailers and how they are coping with them, I invited Jen Millard and Kaylin Gutierrez from Manat Digital and Technology to our podcast. Before joining Manat, Jen and Kaylin founded a boutique strategy consulting firm serving some of the world's most recognized technology, retail, and financial services brands, and both have led marketing, business development, and retail operations at companies across big box, specialty, online, and automated retail channels. Jen and Kaylin, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Po. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Po. Delighted to be here. Jen, this is your second time on our podcast. I really do thank you for coming back. And Kaylin, I hope you will also return as guests in future episodes as well. Absolutely. This is my favorite time of the year, especially in New York, where the city literally lights up for about two months. The decorations, the feel-good music, the shopping. I love all of that. But this year, I'm worried about shopping for presents, knowing that we may be facing shortages due to supply chain issues. Tell us about these supply chain challenges affecting the retail industry. What are the big issues and what's causing them? Yeah, this has been a kind of built up problem over the last couple of years. It's now really coming to fruition. Today, there were bottlenecks in the supply chain. Goods stopped being produced for a long period of time. And the goods that were produced were in some area of the stratosphere kind of sitting on ships or waiting to be transported between international geographies. And then suddenly the world reopened and here we are and everything needs to get put through a very narrow port and very narrow channels, especially coming into the U.S., and then transfer to all these different points of distribution. So we have essentially a giant bottleneck that is going to take months to siphon through and get these goods back to the retailers that are needing them. At the same time, the holidays are not going to wait for this to happen. We have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas right around the corner, and peak holiday season is coming. It's upon us. And the consumer is eager to get out, to be at malls, to be out shopping, and even more eager this year to buy goods than they have been in many years past. I think to add on that, Poe, I think this, as Kaylin says, is not a new issue to people who have been in the business. Just-in-time sourcing and some of the more aggressive supply chain strategies that have been deployed over the last decade have kind of culminated in the pandemic with a couple pinch points. Certainly, we've never seen as many ships parked outside of ports, but labor issues at ports have been an ongoing concern for decades. I've had ships stopped at ports in many other roles and with many other companies. I also think we should be conscious that 
we've lost a lot of truck drivers. So we tend to think of supply chain as ships coming to us because we depend on so many components or even finished goods from abroad. But even once the container is unloaded at the port, part of the challenge today is there's a significant driver shortage. And so there's literally nowhere to unload the product. There's no trucks or rail to take the product from the port to its endpoint. So you have multiple bottlenecks that merchants are trying to navigate through right now. I've been reading so much about this in the news. As a rational person, I do understand these issues. But at the same time, as a consumer, I don't really care why there is a shortage. I just want to make sure I get my goods. How are these retailers dealing with these major issues? I think you're starting to see a lot of creativity. You have merchants that are trying to hire private freight management groups, whereas before they would stick with their contracted rate, trying alternative ports. For example, I was in Charleston over the weekend. Charleston's a a B port, but however, ships are now being diverted to other ports in the U.S., which again is more disruption, but we have an opportunity to unload them faster. However, there's not a lot of private organizations that can move freight. You know, it's, it's a relatively agnostic industry. A container is a container. So the costs of the containers have actually stratospherically increased. So the company I was in 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 Charleston last weekend, she used to pay $3,200 a container from India. She's a rug importer, a textile importer. She now has quotes that are over $10,000 per container. And she candidly can't support that in her margin. Her margin was created based on her former costs. So she has to now make a fundamental choice of how much she passes on to the consumer to just enable her staying in business. That's where I think the consumers will start paying attention because they're going to start to see it reflected in price. And I think we start to see that now with some of the inflation discussions that are also present. As Jen had noted, uh, there's definitely a lot of creativity happening today. Brands, as an example, are rethinking how they bring their goods to consumers. And in terms of marketing campaigns, it's less about the individual product that you may or may not be able to get and more about buying from the brand as a whole. So they're focusing more on, on advertising as a broader brand platform versus a specific product platform. For smaller companies and, and actually for larger companies as well, they are also looking to control more of the supply chain itself. So one way to do that is to actually have their own products that they generate and to generate those products domestically. So now they're not relying on international locales to produce the products, ship them to the U.S., get them to the retailer and then to the consumer. They're actually making them available locally. And they're putting their own brand on it so that the consumer is not expecting to have a partner brand that may or may not be available. I'd like to go back to what you said about marketing campaigns. You said that companies are doing more brand advertising versus product advertising. And that's really interesting to me as an advertising lawyer, because you can't really advertise products that you don't have. That would create lots of legal and regulatory problems for the advertiser. And yet advertising activity does not seem to have slowed down despite companies having trouble sourcing goods and making them available to consumers. How are advertisers able to maintain their advertising and marketing with these uncertainties? Are they encouraging early shopping? Are they able to do this because of better inventory management? 
What's your take on that? Let's use consumer products as a category. You know, they have often have a halo brand associated with them, and then they contain multiple products within that halo brand. Today, if you can't predict that I'm going to have a specific type of shampoo, it may not be available on shelf sitting out on a container somewhere. I can't predict its arrival. I may have and often have many other SKUs under my brand halo that consumers could shop for. So I agree with Kaylin, you're starting to see a lot of halos moving to advertising where you might participate at the master brand level, where it may be talking about an industry or family of brands in an industry, but they're not specifically calling out a type or a specific skew because it's unpredictable. And so I think you're seeing messaging that's more holistic around brands and families of brands then you are seeing a traditional Black Friday campaign where it might have been a specific doorbuster because we could have gotten a great price on a great item to drive traffic to a retail location. So much more halo and service components to the advertising right now. I also believe that companies are taking this opportunity as a learning exercise to reduce SKU complexity. If you know that you're going to continue to have supply chain disruption, you should take this opportunity to reduce your SKU complexity. Instead of having six types of white socks, you might now only carry two SKUs of white socks. And you may choose to source one of those socks more domestically so that you are preparing for the future where you can pull from multiple manufacturing sources. So I think you'll see less large contract bids and more distributed contract bids for goods and more halo advertising and less product advertising. I think halo advertising is typically associated with mainstream mass media advertising like TV or sponsorships. But as more and more companies are relying on digital advertising, going after specific customers and targeting them with ad content that's relevant today to these customers, how is such digital strategy affected by the fact that you're trying to do more halo advertising instead of advertising for specific products or deals? I think you see a shift into lifestyle. Many of these brands are now facilitating lifestyle communication engagements and less dependent on individual SKUs, which I personally believe is overall better for the brand. You know, doorbusters are never a profitable entity. Having run retail stores on Black Friday, I can tell you, it is not, uh, it is not an experience that the average consumer should relish people arguing over televisions or specific items because they're at a very low price. I think what you're witnessing today is actually brands repositioning themselves as solution providers or as lifestyle engagement so that they are seen as an extension of someone's life versus just a tactical purchase of a specific item. Great point. I couldn't agree with you more. And also, this gives brands an opportunity for more direct engagement with consumers to create the relationship, as opposed to just selling them something that's on sale today. I would also argue that this is a huge opportunity for retailers to become brands. It's an opportunity for them to reposition themselves. When you go into a retailer, you're hoping for a branded product that's one-off that may or may not be available and the retailer can offer a next best option that is the retailer's own brand where they control the supply chain. Now the switching costs are much lower because you're able to now transition and try something new that you may not have tried before. So 
there's actually a large opportunity and big box retailers are the largest advertisers, obviously, because they have the deepest pockets. But a lot of small mom and pop specialty stores and specialty retailers are actually developing now their own brands and rethinking the way that they distribute products as well. So there's actually an opportunity as well for the mom and pop retailer to thrive in this type of environment and own more of their own supply chain and branding lifecycle. Fascinating. Let's talk further about inventory management and transparency to consumers, making sure that consumers know when they're going to get the product they would like to order. I think that's really important, especially in the digital age where information is everywhere. I personally always go to a retailer's website first to check if a particular store has a product that I want, even though I don't really want to buy that online for at-home delivery, especially if it's a large item. I'd like to still check to see which of the stores carry that and if I can go and pick it up. It's one way for me to be more efficient with my time. Jen, do you think our reliance on online shopping has made it easier or harder for retailers, especially small retailers, to survive in this environment? I would say easier. I think every brand with today's platforms and tools has the ability to compete as easily as big box stores can compete on social media. The tools that are available on shopping platforms to enable mom and pops to stand up digital storefronts have never been as robust as they are today. I think it has leveled the playing field for small merchants to compete. The challenge is they're often non-sophisticated media buyers, and they don't actually know how to then leverage the tools to get the greatest outcome. So I think the big opportunity for small merchants right now, while you have the tools that have democratized the ability for small brands to participate in a digital community, what they lack is the sophistication of how to use the tools. So there's a large educational component that's being forced into retailers right now on how to be more nimble and how to use digital tools effectively. And there's a learning curve to that, that small and medium businesses are undergoing. As you mentioned, supply chain issues are not all bad for retailers. I think there are winners in this market as well as losers. How can retailers take advantage of the current situation? Kaylin, I know you talked a little bit about this before, but I'd love for you to talk further about how to make this a winning opportunity for all retailers, small and large. For small retailers, they've got to bring back their localized communities. They're never going to compete with these large online channels that offer tons of different options right at your doorstep almost immediately. They're not going to be able to compete with that type of a channel. However, communities are looking to re-engage within their own personal realms, and they're looking for things that fit them, things that have a great backstory and that are authentic. And so there's an opportunity here for these specialty retailers to retarget their own communities, to bring those folks back that were essentially non-existent when they had to shut down during, during the pandemic and to reinvigorate them. And by controlling more of the supply chain, controlling more of their own brand and their brand image, they have an ability to have more autonomy than they've ever had before. But the ball's really in their court. The time is now to do this, and there's a great opportunity to capitalize on it. Jen and Kaylin, thank you so much for your insightful comments. Before we end the episode, I'd like to ask you a couple of tips for retailers to survive this holiday season. 
Well, I think the first answer is you have to sell what you have. You're not going to be able to get additional product in the timeline that you would have liked or expected. So how do you make the most out of what you have in your store today? A lot of retailers are struggling with aged inventory, items that would have been in style in 2019 that they still have available in 2021 that would normally be marked down to discard because it's literally aged inventory. But people haven't bought pants in a very long time, Poe. So, you know, pants are pants and they don't age that much. They're still the same style. You still put them on the same way. So I see a lot of retailers leaning into what they have to sell and being rather unapologetic about it. And to your earlier transparency comment, I think consumers appreciate that transparency. You know, please don't ask someone to go back in the stockroom and look for a size 32. Chances are all their inventory is going to be on the floor. So the more that retailers can reinforce that it's an unusual holiday season for everyone, and everyone is just happy to be out and engaging in social communities and try to drive your personal business to the smallest retailers you can. They're actually the ones that are likely suffering the most and honestly need your support in your local community. Yeah, I would suggest three different areas to focus on. One is early promotions. The consumer has already been given the directive of, if you're in a store and you see something you like, buy it now, because it might not be on the shelf two weeks from now. So the retailers need to align their promotional strategies accordingly and start promoting to the consumer as soon as possible, knowing that they're going to intentionally be shopping early this year. Second is to focus on your brand versus your product. You want the consumer to adopt and want to shop by your brand. And the brand can either be a product-based brand or a retailer-based brand, but they want to shop your brand, not necessarily a specific product. And then third is a focus on digital goods. There's a great opportunity to sell gift cards, as an example. You're still selling a product. As a consumer, you're still receiving a product, but actually acquiring the specific good that that product aligns with may not be till after the new year. So aligning with digital goods and digital products, the more you can do that, the less strain you're going to have on your physical inventory and the more time you're going to have to please the customer. Thank you both for these great tips and for joining us to discuss these important issues facing retailers for this holiday season. And thank you listeners for joining us once again on Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. As we discussed in today's episode, supply chain bottlenecks caused by COVID-19 are disrupting traditional holiday shopping plans for retailers, advertisers, and consumers. But as Jen and Kaylin noted, even with these challenges, retailers and brands are pivoting on their strategies with creative solutions. We're very fortunate, Manat, to be able to collaborate with our consulting colleagues like Jen and Kaylin, who have extensive experience leading marketing, business development, and retail operations at a variety of companies. To learn more about our digital and technology consulting team, or to submit questions you may have about this episode, please click the link in this episode's caption. And if you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat to receive updates about future episodes. To all of our listeners, we wish you a wonderful holiday season and happy shopping. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney-client or other business relationship. 
You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction.